Welcome to the Criswell College Chapel Podcast. Through each semester, the entire campus gathers for worship through song and a biblical, challenging, and encouraging message. Speakers include pastors, professors, and local business and nonprofit leaders. At Criswell, we believe spiritual life is vital for everyone. And that is why Criswell's goal in chapel services is to emphasize loving the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. We make leaders who are ambassadors, cultivators, peacemakers, problem solvers, and professionals. While chapel services are tailored to students, we are encouraged by all our guest speakers by knowing that the practicality of what is being spoken is for everyone. To learn more about Criswell College, visit criswell.edu. Thank you for joining us. Today we will be hearing from Dr. Ellis Orozco. Dr. Orozco joined First Baptist Church of Richardson in 2009. Born and raised in Houston, Dr. Orozco graduated from Texas A&M in engineering, holds a Master of Divinity from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and a doctorate from Truett Theological Seminary. In addition to his pastoral work, Dr. Orozco has preached at events across the country and served on mission trips around the world. Without further ado, Dr. Ellis Orozco. Man, thanks. So good to be here. Good to see you. This is actually my favorite thing to do. I mean, not so much the preaching, um, but the uh, just getting to hang out and talk about Jesus, about God, and about his church. Um, so to start that, I want to, so it's an honor. Thank you, Dr. Creamer, for the invitation. It's an honor, and I'm just really excited about spending time with you guys. Um, but I want to begin by reading from God's Word, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. It's a very familiar passage. Most of you probably have it memorized. Um, and you'll recognize it coming from one of Jesus' most famous teachings, what has come to be known as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, uh, where it says, Jesus turns to his disciples, and he says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. So I want us to unpack that a little bit. I want us to unpack what Jesus meant in the moment that he said it to the people he was talking to that particular day. Um, what did he mean when he said, you are the light of the world, a city built on a hill cannot be hidden? And I want to give in, begin by, by saying to you, I, I really, um, I understand that you are, you are being educated and trained um, in Christian leadership in one of the finest uh, schools in the land but you're being educated and trained for Christian leadership at a critical and crucial time uh, in the history of American Christianity. A time unlike any other, I believe, in the history of American Christianity in particular. And that I'm painfully aware of the leadership challenge that you'll be facing. And as one who has been doing this for 35 years now and uh, has been a part of fashioning American Christianity for the first 35 years, I want to apologize <laughs> for what I'm handing you. <laughs> but you are the next generation, so I'm aware of that. You are preparing yourself, as I did some 35 years ago, uh, to make a difference in the kingdom of God, to be a herald of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to be a conduit of God's love. I did that too. But unlike me 35 years ago, you are doing so in a world that is increasingly hostile toward your calling. Increasingly hostile toward what you're living for 
You're facing a culture that will increasingly attack the ramifications of your calling. Um, A world in which the gospel message will increasingly be marginalized, diminished, sometimes even demonized. Um, A world in which the very things that you hold precious will be called bigoted and evil. And a world which inevitably, and there's no other way it can go, inevitably will give birth to a systematic and consistent persecution of anything that smacks of Christianity. It hasn't happened yet. And it probably will not happen in my lifetime. But it certainly will happen in yours. The writing's on the wall. Nothing can stop it. So, and, and by the way, I didn't mean to start on such a downer, okay? I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to, like, it's not a great way to start a sermon. I don't recommend it. Um, so I didn't want to start, I, I didn't want to be a bearer of bad news. But I felt that it was imperative, essential, for you to understand the power of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, that before you could understand and feel the power of those words, you had to understand with a sober reality the bad news first. We're going to get to the good news. I promise you I am going to get to the scripture text. One of my pet peeves is, a, is when a preacher stands in the pulpit, announces the text, reads the text, and then starts talking and never talks about the text he read, right? I will get to it, I promise you. But I think before you can get to the good news, you have to really have a sobering reality and understanding of, of the bad news. In fact, a number of years ago, I came under the strong conviction that any pastor or Christian leader who is not preparing his church, who is not preparing his flock, who is not preparing any pastor or Christian leader who is not preparing his or her, um, the people of God, right? If you're not preparing the people of God for persecution, he's not doing his job. I think it's absolutely imperative for Christian leaders today to begin preparing the flock, to begin preparing Christian people for that persecution that is inevitably going to come. And so maybe we can talk a little bit more about that later. Um, But the basis of that conviction for me was born out of my love for the church. It was born out of what I considered to be the the centrality of the church in God's plan to, to save the world. Now, you probably know that it has become fashionable. I know this because I, I, I'm on TikTok, so. It has become fashionable for an entire generation to deconstruct their faith. And one of the, inevitably, one of the first casualties of that deconstruction is the church. It's the church. And I get it. I mean, I get it. The church historically as an institution has in some ways a horrific track record as an institution. And so I, I can understand and, and even sympathize with those who might want to jettison her. Right? Even maybe some of you in here. I get it. The problem with that, however, the problem with that is that the church is, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, it is central to to God's plan. The, the, the church is the body of Christ. There is no other body. The church is the bride of Christ. There is no other bride. The church is the, the, was given birth by God to become the conduit of God's grace to propagate the gospel message. That is part of God's plan, and the church is the conduit for that. There is no other conduit. There is no other plan. God does not have a plan B. God doesn't need a plan B. He has the church. It is the plan, right? And so the church is, is it. With all of her frailties, with all of her fractures, with all of her failures, with all of her blemishes, 
It is still the church. And so you are preparing yourself to be leaders of the church because apart from the church, apart from the body of Christ, you are impotent. It is the church, the true people of God. And you are doing so in what I believe will be in the history of Christianity, unprecedented times. So let's talk about the church. Let's get to the good news. Anne Lamott, in one of her books, uh, tells the story of a little girl who uh, got mad at her mother, and so she decided she was going to run away. She's like five years old, right? She's going to run away from home, so she collects a few things, and she starts to walk down the sidewalk, and she walks uh, far enough to where she kind of gets disoriented and loses her way, and now she's lost. She doesn't know how to get back home. And so she does what any five-year-old would do in that situation, she starts to cry. But fortunately, a police officer in his patrol car is driving by in his car, and he stops, and he gets off, and he tries to help her, but she is so distraught, she is so upset that she cannot remember her last name, she cannot remember her phone number, she cannot remember her address, she can't remember anything. And so he puts her in the backseat of his patrol car, thinking that she couldn't have gone very far, right? So he, he starts to drive in concentric circles around the neighborhood, ever-increasing concentric circles, hoping that she maybe will see her house or some familiar landmark that will right, help her get home. And as they round one corner, she points out the window and she screams, over there, there, that steeple over there, that's my church. I can always find my way home from there. If, I could, if we can just make it there, everything will be all right. Is that true? Is that true about the church? If I can just make it there, everything will be all right. Jesus, in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, commissions his disciples to live out the basic uh, principles of what will become known as the Christ life. What Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is that he is giving them his, his rabbinical haloha. The haloha was the rabbi's specific way of life, their specific way to Jesus, to, to God, and Jesus had his, and it was him. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he's delivering to them the Christ life, and that's what you get in the Sermon on the Mount. That's why it is so important He's giving them his unique and specific way of life. But before he does that, he wants them to know something about themselves. He wants them to know something about their collective identity. So the scripture that we read, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, is actually the, the end of the introduction to the sermon. Um, in the sermon, he's going to give them the Christ way. But in the introduction, he does two things. And there are two parts to the introduction. Now, the first part, he describes what the disciple looks like, right? It's what we've come to know as the Beatitudes, right? The Beatitudes, it comes from the Latin word beatitudo. It comes from, actually from the Latin Vulgate translation of the Bible, beatitudo. In the Greek, it's makareo, and sometimes they're called makarisms, Beatitudes, makarisms from makareo, and the makareo in the Greek means blessed, but it means so much more than that. I mean, there's no English word that really translates to it, right? Blessed, makareo. And so he's describing the individual disciple who is blessed because he is following God. But the second part, the second part of the introduction, it shifts in verse 12 to talking about the church, the disciples collectively, what they look like collectively, right? He, he, he begins to describe the church. In the first part of the introduction, Jesus is describing the individual disciple. In the second part, the disciple and community. In verse 10, he says, blessed are you when men persecute you, right? That's verses 10 and 11. Verses, blessed are you, and the you in that is second person singular, Blessed are you, first person singular. But then there's a shift from verse 11 to verse 12, where he says, you, 
plural. Second person, plural. You are the salt of the earth. You, plural, are the light of the world. He's shifted, you understand. Now, in the English, there's no way to, you know, it's, it's just you. Unless, of course, you're from the south. Right? There you go. We distinguish, right? We say, y'all, right? And if Jesus had been a southerner, which to some people's dismay, he wasn't. But if he had been a southerner, he would have said here, y'all are the salt of the earth, right? Y'all are the light of the world. He's describing the disciples collectively, the church. See, I'm not the light of the world. I'm not the light of anything. Um, But when I join my heart to your hearts, when I join my hands to your hands, then together, collectively, we become the light of the world. The one who said, Jesus, the one who said, I am the light of the world, now turns to his disciples collectively and says, you also, together, collectively, you are the light of the world. And that's because the relationship is the core of everything that Jesus does. That's because God is incarnational, so that whatever goodness, whatever grace, whatever light is to be found in us, it is only there to the degree that Christ is in us. Here is the light of the world. Christ in us loving other people. That's the light. And he says, it's like a city set on a hill. You can't hide it. You can't hide a city. How do you hide a city? They don't make a sofa cover big enough to hide a city, right? You just can't, you can't hide a city. Everyone can see it. People see it, the city lights from afar, and their heart burns within them, and they think, if I can just make it there, everything will be all right. See, the city. Look, I grew up in the concrete jungles of Houston, and um, so I understand the city, and and growing up, the city was a scary place to me. Uh, Actually, I grew up on the outskirts of Houston in a place called Pasadena, and, uh, but in, on a clear night, you could see the, the soft glow of the city lights, and it was always kind of scary. The, the city, the big city, it was a scary place. It was a dangerous place, right? But not so in the first century. Actually, quite the opposite. In the first century, the walled cities like Jericho and Jerusalem, right, they were actually the safe place. They were the safe havens. They would build walls around the city to keep danger out, right? It was inside the city walls where you found security, safety, comfort, right? It was in the first century the, the, the out countryside, the open countryside that was the place of, of danger, the place people inv- avoided, right? It was, a, it was a place you didn't want to go. And especially the, the hill country of Judah leading up to Jerusalem, the hills that rose, that, that, that rose around the, the roads, the thieves would hide in those hills and they would pounce on people and beat them up and steal from them. It was those open country roads where evil lurked. Have you ever been lost out in the open country? You're from Texas, right? You ever been lost out in the open country on a moonless night? So dark, you put your hand in front of you, you can't see it, and you're lost. And then out in the distance, you see a flickering light. And you think to yourself, if I can just make it there, right? If I can just get there, maybe everything will be all right. That was the city in Jesus' day. 
The city is this, this safe place. We all need that. We all need that city. We need that safe place. We all need that light. The place that no matter how long you've been gone, no matter how far away you've gone, no matter how low you've sunk, no matter how, what bad thing you've done, that place where you can always come back to and you always are, are welcome and you are always loved and you are always safe and you are always home. We all need that safe place. Jesus told a story about a man who was on the way to the city He was on his way to Jericho when a band of thieves jumped out of nowhere and they beat him up and they left him on the side of the road for dead. The midday sun would soon finish him off. And several people walked by and and didn't help him. But then one man walked by, a Samaritan, a half-breed, a spiritual mongrel. He, He walked by and he stopped and he helped the man. And he picked the man up and put him on his donkey and he took him into the city, to an inn, right? And he gave him some of his clothes to wear and he washed him up and he bandaged him up and he, he helped him to heal. And then he went to the innkeeper and he said to the innkeeper, look, I'm leaving this man here. Here's some money. This should be enough money for you to take care of him. And if it's not, when I get back, I'll give you more. I'll give you more money to take care of him. Right? You remember that story? Jimmy Allen, in a uh, 1973 chapel sermon at Southwestern Seminary, where I graduated uh, from my master's degree, um, he preached a sermon entitled, The Society of Innkeepers. And in that sermon, he compared the Good Samaritan to Jesus, where Jesus goes about picking up all those who are lying on the side of the road, those who have been hurt and beat up by life, those who have been assaulted and abused, those who have been cheated and robbed by life those who have been stripped of their dignity and they've been stripped of their honor, all the less thans in life, all the marginalized ones in life, all, the Bible says, the poor in spirit in life. And Jesus picks them up on the side of the road. He envelops them in his arms and he carries them to the church, to the inn, to the society of innkeepers, you see. And he says to the church, here's this one, you take care of him. Here's, I'll give you the money. Don't worry about the money. Don't worry about the money. There'll be be enough. I'll give you the money. You just take care of him. And then he goes out, and he picks up another, and another, and another, and he brings them to us, to the church, so they can find healing, so they can find a safe place, so that they can find love. And... That's the society of innkeepers. The one for whom there was no room at the inn, right, comes to a lost and bleeding world and he brings them in his arms and he brings them to the doorstep of the church. And he says to the church, here they are, you take care of them. I'm giving them to you to take care of them. And when I come back, I'll give you even more. Don't worry about the money. I'll give it to you. You are, you see, this is who you are. You are the society of incubators. You are the city set on a hill. You are a hospital for sick people. You are, that's why we have a steeple, because people need to see the city set on a hill so that people can see it. So a man is walking alongside the road, and he uh, is walking on his way to the city, and he falls into a pit, a deep, dark pit, He never expected to fall into that pit. He never thought he would fall into a pit like this one. But there he is. He's fallen into the pit. And the walls of the pit are too steep and too high 
so he can't get out. So he starts to cry for help. And a doctor comes by, medical doctor, and he throws down a prescription to the man. And it helps, but it's not enough. And then a, a reporter comes by and he's interested. He wants a story on the man falling into the pit. And it helps, but it's not enough. And a counselor comes by and listens to the man, listens to his problems. And it helps, but it's not enough. And then a pastor comes by. Here we go. A pastor comes by and he offers a prayer for the man down in the pit. And it helps, but it's not enough. And then a friend comes by. A friend comes by and the friend lowers himself into the pit with the man. And the man says to his friend, that was dumb. Now we're both stuck down in this pit. And the friend says to the man, no, no. You see, I've been in this pit before and I know the way out. That's the church. See, that's the power of Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. I pastored for a number of years in um, McAllen, South Texas. If you pass it up, you're in Mexico. Don't pass it up. Uh, pastored there for 10 years. And my associate pastor there is a man named Joe Giroux, and um, he has since gone on to be with the Lord. But when we were down there working together, he and his wife, Janet, they brought her, her mother, his mother-in-law, they brought her down to the valley, to McAllen. She was, lived somewhere up north, I don't know. Anything past Dallas is just Yankee country, whatever. Anyway, I'm sorry if you're from Oklahoma. But anyway, um, so they brought her down because she was, her, her health was failing her. And so, uh, and she was in a nursing home there in McAllen. They were taking care of her. She was in a wheelchair. Her body was giving out on her, but her mind was sharp as ever. She had been a school teacher for 40 years. And her mind was, oh my gosh, sharp, right? So I'm visiting her one day in the nursing home. And uh, we're sitting in the cafeteria because her room was so tiny. Um, and she's in her wheelchair and I'm sitting across the table from her in the chair. And I asked her, Mary Jo, her name is Mary Jo. I said, Mary Jo, how's it going? How do you like it here? And then she just goes on for 15 minutes all about how much she loves it there and everyone's so nice and everyone's so kind. And it's all just positive, positive, positive. It's just great. I'm looking around going, it doesn't look that great to me, but it, she's, she's just going on and on about how wonderful it is. And I noticed that she was talking that she had sitting in her lap, she had one of those like big um, Ziploc bags, like the gallon size bags that you freeze things in, right? And she has it sitting in her lap and inside the bag is all this like nail paraphernalia, like nail polish and emery boards and nail clips and all that kind of stuff. And so I <laughs> asked her, Mary Jo, what's, what's that? And she laughed and said, oh, Pastor Ellis, this is my ministry. I said, really? She said, yes, yes. He goes, I go from room to room um, doing the nails, manicuring nails and fingernails and toenails for the ladies here in the, in the nursing home. She said, I, you know, at first, I don't think they knew what to think of me. They didn't understand, McAllen is like 98% Hispanic, okay? So, and this lady is like as white as, as white, sorry, white people, I'm sorry, but she's like, right, white. And half these people have never seen a white person, right? So she, she's, I don't know what they, they didn't know what to think of me. I think they were scared of me at first. She said, but now I have so many requests, I have to make appointments. Oh, that's, that's awesome. And she said to me, she, she pointed her finger at me like in her school teacher right thing. She pointed her finger at me and said, Pastor Ellis, not keeping up your appearances is the first step to depression. 
I said, yes, Mary Jo, that's right. That's true. She got this wistful look on her face, and she said, you know, when I first got here, most of the ladies would stay in their, their pajamas and robes all day long. But now, most of them insist on putting on a dress. And I looked around the room, and I hadn't noticed, but she was right. Most of the men were wearing pajamas and robes, and most of the women had on brightly colored dresses. So I lean down to hug her as I'm leaving, and she says, oh, Pastor Ellis, thank you so much for coming to visit me. You've been such a blessing. And I said, no, Mary Jo, thank you. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for being the church in a wheelchair. Thank you for being the light of the world in this place. Thank you for being the city set on a hill. You see, this is what you're preparing for. This, this is the church. We are, we are the church. We are the city set on a hill. It cannot be hidden. It absolutely must not be hidden. There are two people who need to see it. They stand down in the deep, dark pits of life and they look up and they see her bright light shining and their hearts burn within them. I promise you, even the harshest, most radical cynic, their hearts burn within them because they know, they know they're missing something. They know they need light. And so they're standing down in the deep, dark pits of life and they're looking up and they see her light shining and their hearts burn within them. Something inside of them is telling them, if I can just make it there, everything will be all right. Is that true? Is that really true? Is it still true? If I can just make it there, everything will be all right. Yes, it's true. It's absolutely true. It's absolutely true because Jesus Christ, our risen and radiant and righteous Savior, still stands at the head of his church, his arms open wide, proclaiming to a lost and hurting world, come unto me, all ye who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest so that the church can say, yes, we are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We are the righteous ones. We are the society of innkeepers. We are the city set on a hill. We are the light of the world. Come on in. Everything will be all all right. That's what you're preparing for, to, to be that. That's what you're preparing for. So my prayer for you is that wherever you go and whatever God calls you to, that you will love the church. That is the church, the church who's prepared to be a society of innkeepers, that church. That you, you will always love that church that's ready to be a hospital for sick people. That church. That's the church. You can jettison the rest. But the church that is ready to say we want to be a safe place. A safe place for people to find themselves, to find God and to find Jesus and to find their own hearts so that's my prayer for you. And then I, I want to do something that I, I like always want to do, and I'm going to end with this. But I want to bless you. I had a seminary professor, my preaching professor in seminary would say to us, you know, um, you're going to preach every seven days. And it comes every seven days. It's like, it's coming, right? And you better stand up there and you better say something. 
and it better be good. That's hard, every seven days. So he would say to us, like, if you have, if, if, like, if your sermon bombed, like, it was just terrible, like, just, if your sermon bombed, at the very end, at least bless the people, right? So that they get nothing else, at least bless them, right? So I hope my sermon didn't bomb, but just in case, no, you're preparing for, for unprecedented times in American Christianity. And I'm so thankful for you. So thankful for you. Suddenly bless you in the words of the ancient prophet as he would hold his hands over Israel and he would bless them with these words. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. Thank you once again for listening to the Criswell Chapel podcast. Please make sure to visit criswell.edu to learn more about Criswell College. We hope that you will join us again soon. God bless you.